Chapters 1 through 8 of Romans are very controversial chapters in commentaries because people approach this book from the standpoint of faith only or grace only. And so they read into it what they want to find when they get there. They fail to see Romans 1.5 or Romans 16.25 or those passages that teach that this word faith in Romans is the synecdoche for the whole gospel system, the part put for the whole. They also fail to notice that the word law in Romans for the most part is speaking about the law of Moses. And so they think that there is no law today at all. But we read quite clearly in Romans 8, 1 and 2 that there's a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Well, in the same controversial category, chapters 9 through 11, but because of the doctrine of premillennialism, people who are premillennialists approach chapters 9 through 11 and think that they prove that one day every Jew must be brought back to Israel and saved. That's premillennial doctrine. You know what pre means before. Millennial, a thousand, ism means it isn't so. There is no such thing as premillennialism or Jesus coming back to earth to reign for a thousand years. That's not a very long eternity, is it? A thousand years? And so, but this, these are the chapters that are often used to try to prove that eventually every Jew will be saved. Some of our older brethren had that view. Alexander Campbell, for instance, held the view that one day all the Jews would be saved, as did Moses Lard and, and some of those back then. They weren't premillennialists. They were postmillennialists. They believed there'd be a thousand years of peace on the earth and then the Lord would come. But nevertheless, these are the chapters that are used. Watch the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding is that when you exegete chapters 9 through 11 of Romans this way, you have actually contradicted too many plain scriptures. And if I've got a difficult passage, I certainly don't want to contradict plain passages with some strange uh, exegesis of the uh, difficult passage. It's also the case that John Calvin thought, chapter 9 taught, that God chose individuals and separated them from others in order for those individuals to be saved. He spoke of the doctrine of election, and he said some people are elected to go to hell and some are elected to go to heaven. Nothing can change that. God chooses. If that were the case, then none of us is responsible for his or her final destiny. There is nothing we can do to be saved, nothing we can do to uh, come to the Father. We'll just have to wait for him to call. And if we're one of the elect, we'll get a direct call somehow through some convulsion or experience or feeling or something else. In chapter 9, Paul speaks of the problem of Israel. Israel is anticipated here as asking the question, how could God choose us and then bring the Messiah through us and then reject us for the church? Paul is going to point out to them that that's not what happened. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. Imagine that. This phrase, I could wish that myself, is in a mood in the original language called the optative mood. That means that this isn't possible. Even if it were the case that Paul went to hell, that wouldn't save the Jews. But he's just stating his feelings here for them. He said, I could wish that they all would be saved. 
And if it would help, I'd go to hell to accomplish that. That's how deeply he felt about their salvation. My kinsmen according to the flesh. Who are they, Paul? Israelites, adopted by God as the chosen people to bring the Messiah, who saw the glory or Shekinah of God at the temple and at the tabernacle. They had the covenants and the giving of the law and the priesthood and the promises. These are the fathers, he said. God blessed them. And uh, okay, who, as according to the flesh, Christ came. Christ came as a Jew, verse 5. But, Paul says, don't blame the gospel for their problem. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. Now watch what he says. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Even back there under the law of Moses, not all of those Israelites were saved. They didn't obey God. They were out of uh, uh, fellowship with God, and so they were lost too. And so just because God chose Israel, that didn't even guarantee the individual salvation of every Israelite. You can read your Old Testament and read about many people who disobeyed God and were put to death for it. And so they're not all Israel. Who are of Israel? So why is Israel complaining that God rejected them? He didn't. He gave them a new covenant which Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant which I made with them when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. And so a new covenant was coming. Now watch verse 7. And here is the Jewish problem. They, think because, they thought because they were descendants of Abraham that God had to save them. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children of God, that is. But in Isaac shall I seed be called. God chose Isaac over Ishmael. Did that save Isaac? No. Not save his soul. Did that make Ishmael one who would be lost? No, Ishmael heard the same messages that Isaac did from Abraham and Sarah. But God made a choice in Isaac to bring the promise of the seed line of Christ when you read your Old Testament, find the Lord Christ in every book of the Old Testament. It will help you enjoy it more. He's there. Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The Revised Standard translators got so upset with that passage that because it mentioned the Christ as the promised seed of Abraham, they took that verse right out of its context and wrote it this way. In thy seed shall all the families of the earth bless themselves. We can't bless ourselves. That's the seed line of Abraham that is going to bless us. And so the Jew thought, well, he brought the Messiah through us. He chose us out of all these nations. Surely we must be saved. No, it's not why he chose Isaac. He made a choice in Isaac to be the son of the promise. That is, they which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God. Was your father a Christian? Doesn't make you one. It doesn't make me one if my parents are Christians. I have to do that myself. The, the, you might be a fleshly descendant of Abraham. You still don't have any greater contact with God. I've met many people and on occasion say, well, my father was a preacher or, or my brother's a preacher. Well, that doesn't help him any. He's going to have to obey God on his own. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Who are the children of the promise? Somebody read Galatians 3.29. These are God's spiritual children who are saved, not his fleshly children. Not fleshly children of Abraham. 
Paul says, and if you be Christ, what? Then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's a spiritual son who's saved, not a fleshly one. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. What did Sarah do when she was told she'd have a child? Did she laugh? Uh, she was 90 years old, wasn't she? That's fairly old to be having children. And not only this, but when Re Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. Now, since Paul picked out Isaac here to show that God chose him, the Jews might argue, well, Paul, we understand about Isaac. He was the legitimate son. Ishmael was not the legitimate son of Sarah. So we understand why God chose Isaac, and so we are the sons of Isaac, therefore we're saved. Paul said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. So he illustrates it again this way. For the children being, he's talking about Rebekah now, who gave birth to Jacob and Esau. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Who was the oldest boy? Esau. Esau. He served Jacob, not in their lifetimes. That was a promise about the nations, that the elder nation, the Edomites, would serve Israel eventually. That was God's promise. Then he says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Hated? Loved less for his purpose than he did Jacob. He chose Jacob to be the next in the seed line. Could have used Esau. But Esau made a mistake. What did he do? Sold his birthright. So he gave up his position. Now, here's the question. Watch this question. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And remember I told you that the words God forbid aren't in the text. It's meganeta. No, in no way. There's not any way possible to, to say to God, you shouldn't have chosen Isaac. You shouldn't have chosen Jacob. God had a purpose. But none of those choices affected Jacob's or Esau's or Isaac's individual salvation. God just chose them for his purpose. God might use you for something. And yet... That would not affect your salvation. And here's where John Calvin missed it. He just insisted that if God chose you for something, that affected your salvation. Well, if you think that way, watch what Paul does here. He's going to bring up an illustration here that will help us understand what it means when God chooses someone. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, compassion on whom I will have compassion. On whom will God have mercy? Brothers and sisters, on whom will God have mercy? The man who comes to him and in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, asks for forgiveness. So that it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. We started out studying Romans by stating that righteousness or justification takes place in God's mind. That's his choice. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh. Now he brings up Pharaoh. He brings up a non-Jew whom God chose. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. You think about Pharaoh. You know, the Bible says two things about Pharaoh that seem contradictory. It says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it says God hardened his heart. Well, when Pharaoh disobeyed God, that hardened God, uh, Pharaoh's heart. But Pharaoh had a choice. Pharaoh heard ten marvelous sermons. He heard about lice and frogs and murrain and blood. And they were very good sermons, weren't they? What did he do when he heard those sermons? I'm talking about the ten plagues. 
What did he do when he, when he, he, he argued against them, didn't he? Hardened his heart. All right. But God chose him to be the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Had Pharaoh obeyed God, the Jews would have left Egypt. No doubt about it. Let my people go. Go, Pharaoh said. He didn't say that, though. But had he said it, the Jews would have left Egypt. But since Pharaoh did not obey God, the Jews left Egypt. That's the point. God had a purpose, and he used this man, whether that man obeyed him or not. And what I'm learning here is about God's power, not man's. I, can't, I didn't hear you, brother. Yes, sir, that's he, uh, Daniel chapter 4. And who had to learn that the hard way? What great king had to crawl around in a field for a few years to learn that God ruled in the kingdoms of men? Nebuchadnezzar. So God made choices here, but that didn't mean that that had anything to do with their individual salvation. Now, but Paul, why in the world did God use us and then reject us? He didn't reject the Jews. They had every opportunity to obey the gospel as well as the Gentiles. And beside that, their Old Testament prophets had told them over and over again, there's a day coming when God's going to have one group of people on the earth, one ecclesia, one church. Look down there at verse uh, 25. Hosea said this, I will call them my people which were not my people. Hosea told them the Gentile is going to be brought back into the fold. Isaiah told them that, verse 27, and so on. Verse 29 again. And when you study the Old Testament, you're going to find out that there's something called a remnant. A few Jews through the centuries did obey God and did find their way into paradise. But that was the minority, not the majority of those Jews. And they had been told over and over again, one of these days the covenant is going to change. And the Gentiles, verse 30, which follow not after righteousness will attain righteousness, which is of faith. What's the word faith mean in Romans? The system of faith. The Gentile will attain righteousness by the system of faith. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1.17? That in the gospel is revealed a righteousness of God from faith to faith. The Gentile will achieve it by faith, but Israel tried to achieve it by the law of Moses and missed it, verse 31. Why? Verse 32, because they sought it not by faith, not by the new system, but as it were by the works of the law, and they stumbled at the stumbling stone. That's Jesus Christ, the stumbling stone. And that's the reason they were rejected. Not because God said, go away, Jews, I, I want another people now, but because when they heard the gospel, they rejected it. They stumbled at the stumbling stone. And so you have an interesting chapter there on God's choices. God can choose to use anyone. That, that choice does not affect that person's individual salvation or his individual uh, unrighteousness. It does affect what God, I mean, it's the effect that God causes by using that person. So it is God's choice. And God chose to bring his son to save all mankind. That was the promise to Abraham. You have the promise to Abraham, then you have the law. And the law was added to the promise because of transgression. It showed us how evil sin is. Because God's holy law could not forgive sin. It took a savior to do that. We go to chapter 10 now. 
Again, he tells us he wants Israel to be saved. He says they have a zeal of God, but they don't understand, verse 2. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. Where is God's righteousness revealed, class? In the gospel. Let's go back and read Romans 1, 16. Don't forget the thesis of this book. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Somebody. No shame of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God, as it is written in just a little bit. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they will not listen to the gospel. Going about to establish their own righteousness, I want to do it my way. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the teleos. Please underline this. This verse does not say that Christ ended the law of Moses. And that's the way I hear it preached sometimes. But the word there translated end is the word for G-O-A-L or A-I-M. Christ is the aim or goal of the law of Moses in order to righteousness to everyone that believeth. The law pointed to the Christ as the one who would bring righteousness, Galatians 3.25. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. He's the goal of the law. He was pointing to the law. Every picture in the tabernacle pointed to the Christ. The bread, he's the bread of life. The light, he's the light of the world. They tore the veil. Why? Well, representative of his torn body. They had the prayers there, or the incense, which was a type of the prayers of the saints and so on. Everything, he's the mercy seat himself, we're told in Romans 3. So everything in the law of Moses is pointing to the Christ. He's coming. They stumbled. They stumbled. They stumbled. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Brothers and sisters, are you saved? Can I get a resounding yes, or are you just going to sit and look at me? Are you saved? Are you saved? I'm not hearing all of you. Some of you must doubt it. Are you saved? It isn't hard to be saved. That's what Paul says right there. You don't have to go back up into heaven and get Christ, and you don't have to go down in the depths of the earth and do something else. It's not that hard. You don't have to raise Christ again. Faith says, obey the gospel, you'll be saved. It's that easy. Not hard at all. And what does faith say? Look at verse 8. The word is near thee. When the Jews wanted to say something was easy, they said it's near. When they wanted to say something was hard, they, or hard, they said it's far away. He said the word, the message is right near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. You get your heart right with God and then express your faith and you'll be saved. Faith must be expressed. It must be active. It's that easy. And he says that's the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, the mind, the will, the center of my very being, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's not that hard. Faith expressed, it's that simple. What says the scripture? Abraham believed God. He did what God told him to do. It's not that hard. 
This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. They're not overly tough to do. My friend, can you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Can you do that? Can you repent of your sins? Can you confess with your mouth that Jesus is... Aren't you glad God didn't tell an alien sinner to confess his sins? I was 26 years old before I obeyed the gospel. I could never remember them all to confess them. He didn't tell an alien sinner to confess his sins. He said, you confess the name of my son and we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. Confession of sin is a privilege of a child of God and an obligation. 1 John 1, 7 through 10. So it's a privilege and an obligation. We can do that. These commandments are not hard. Being baptized is easy. Just let go, and if the guy doesn't drop you, you'll come back up. You know, they say baptism is an immersion. I said, no, it's an immersion and a resurrection. If you just immerse him, he'll drown. But it is an immersion and a resurrection. It's easy. Somebody's doing that for you. You say, well, I have trouble living faithfully. So did Peter. But he made it. Sister Nelson. Sister Nelson here today, and she's not here today. Sister Pritchard, is your husband a better man than Abraham? Go like this. You hesitated, didn't you? Because Abraham is a hero of the faith, isn't he? Friend of God. But he also lied about his wife twice and put her in a harem, didn't he? Did he ever do that to you? He's a better man than Abraham. We make it too hard, brethren. My friend Campbell Washington Bradley told me on one occasion, he said, Keith, I think we're harder on ourselves than God is. I think he's right. I think he's absolutely right. We can do it. Let your faith express itself. Just be all you can be, as I was talking about last night, for God. And if you love him enough, it's easy. But if you don't love him, it's a burden. It's interesting to me that the Old Testament word in Isaiah where he says the burden of Moab or the burden of Ethiopia or whatever it is, it's a burden to those people because they don't want to obey it. It's too heavy a load. But for those of us who love the Lord, no problem. Whatever he tells me to do. And he doesn't tell me to do anything very hard, really. Now, the Old Testament prophets, brethren, had predicted this incoming of the Gentiles. And that's what verses 10 through 21 of chapter 10 are about. He refers back to the Old Testament prophets and the fact that they had said quite clearly that there would be a time when the Gentile would be brought into the gospel system. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. No difference between the Jew and the Greek. That's what the Old Testament scripture said. And they said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the New Testament system. That was what was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. And then he claims that those Old Testament prophets were sent out by God. He says, how, sh even, uh, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And he refers back here to Isaiah 52, 7, where Isaiah predict, or said something about the Old Testament prophets and how beautiful their feet were because they were bringing a message of a gospel that was coming. But Isaiah said they have not obeyed the gospel. That is, they didn't believe the prophet's report. He said, who hath believed our report? That's Isaiah 53, 1. Now here's Paul's conclusion. Faith 
comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This was a predicted system. This should not be anything new to the Jews. They shouldn't wander around and think, well, God didn't warn us about this. He did over and over and over again that a new system was coming. And they had that message, and they heard that message. And, I, and Paul says, have they not heard? That's the Jews. Have the Jews not heard? Yes, verily, the prophets sound. Their sound went into all the earth, to the ends of the, the world, the known world then, because Moses told them, verse 19. Isaiah told them, verses 20 and 21. They should have known this, that there was coming a new system that would include all the peoples of the world who would obey the gospel. I want to stop for a moment and look at the term word in verse 17 there. If you want to make a note to yourself or a side note there, that word is R-A-M-A -A in the original language. R-A-M-A, -A, the term translated word in verse 17. It's an interesting word, prema. It's found in Ephesians 6:17. The sword of the Spirit is the prema of God. The word rhema means the breathed word, the breathed word, the living word, the message that came directly from God's mouth. All scripture is what? Inspired or God breathed. And so he's talking about that the Old Testament scriptures had told them about this incoming salvation. Now I know that brethren oftentimes use verse 15 here to talk about sending out preachers today, and that's all right, but in the context, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets and how they were sent, and that the Jews had been warned about this incoming of the Gentiles. Again, it was a prophesied message. They shouldn't have missed it. We read Matthew 22, and you're hearing Monday night, and we talked about the fact that if they had read the Scriptures, they would have known that God could raise the dead. But it's the case that these Jews who had the written oracles, lived close to the tabernacle and the temple, had, and had seen so many wonderful things that God did for them. Those Jews, for the most part, were rebellious against Almighty God. And you remember when the Master was on earth that the people who upset him the most were the leaders of the Jews. And it was the leaders of the Jews who put him to the, or had him arrested and, and uh, took him to, uh, to uh, Pilate. And so they have a history that's, that's strange in our world. But you remember what they said? They said, his blood be upon us and our children. I believe they've lived to regret that statement throughout their history. As he concludes this uh, section on the problem with the Jews, chapter 11, the question they asked, how could God choose us and not save us? Well, God makes many choices, he said. And your Old Testament prophets told you this was coming. And I want you to be saved. So here he has his answer to his question. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Paul said, I'm an Israelite and I'm saved. Didn't throw me away. Now how was Paul saved? Obeyed the gospel. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not thrown away his people which he foreknew, what you not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig thine hours, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But God said, I've got 7,000 people out here who still serve me. You're not alone. 
as to instruments of music in the worship. Look at verse 5 now. Even so then, at this present time also, there were some Jews obeying the gospel, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God said, obey the gospel. That's his gracious message. It teaches us. And if it's that system, then it's no more of the law of Moses, verse 6. If by grace, the New Testament system, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. We'd have to go back on the law of Moses. But if it be a works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And so he, he contrasts the law of Moses again with this new system that he calls grace or faith. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for as a whole or as a nation, but the election hath obtained it. I love the way Brother Keeble talked about the elect. He said, God voted for you in his son. The devil votes for you. Now you cast the right vote and you'll be elected. You have the choice to be elected. That's what he's talking about here. You cast the right vote, you'll be elected. And Israel had been given a spirit of slumber. Sometimes I tell people when I'm holding a gospel meeting that if you don't intend to obey God, please don't come to the meeting. Does that sound strange to you for a preacher to say that? A little bit strange. I say some strange things, don't I? My students are all the time saying, you trying to get us to think? I tell them I wouldn't do that. What happens if you're listening to the gospel and you're refusing to obey it? What's happening to you? You're hardening your heart. You're hardening your heart more and more. You're slumbering more and more. And so I tell people, if you don't intend to obey, you're taking a chance listening to the gospel. Because your heart's getting harder and harder and harder. Remember, some folks on the day of Pentecost were pricked in their hearts. But when Stephen preached to that crowd again, they were cut to the heart and very angry with him. It hardened their hearts. Well, Israel's heart was hardening. David had predicted this, verse 9 here. Now watch this. This is a strange statement in the book of Romans. This is verse 12. Now if the fall of them, the Jews, be the riches of the world, the Christ came through the Jews, and, the, and then he repeats his statement, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Wouldn't it be so great, Paul says, wouldn't it be such a full thing if we could save those Jews who rejected the gospel? Wouldn't that be great? He said, and I'm talking to you Gentiles who came into the church now. Don't have the attitude toward them that they had toward you. And so I'm talking to you, verse 13. I'm your apostle. So I, I want you to... I want them to understand you came in to provoke them to imitate you of obeying the gospel, verse 14. These Jews which are my flesh and might save some of them. Evidently, some of these Gentiles were getting the attitude, well, God rejected the Jews and brought us in because we're better. Paul said, that's not true. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? But life from the dead, he repeats what he said up there in verse 12. It would be a great thing if we could get these Jews back. The first fruits holy, the first ones converted on the day of Pentecost are holy. That means that the rest of them would be holy if they would obey the gospel, verse 16. And if some of the branches, some of those Jews were broken off because they didn't obey the gospel, and you being a wild olive tree, you Gentile, 
were grafted in among them, and you partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree, the great blessings that are in Christ, if you partake of that, don't boast against the branches. Don't go around saying, well, God threw them away and took us in instead. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. He tells the Gentile, don't be high-minded. Fear. For God spared not the natural branches. Take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, without continuing his goodness, otherwise they sh thou also shall be cut off. It's strange that he had to say something to the Gentiles here who knew why the Jews were lost. They hadn't obeyed the gospel. They knew why they were saved. They had obeyed the gospel. But some of them were thinking, well, God threw away the Jews to bring us in. No, Paul said that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Brother Lewis led a song last night. Oh, me, I lost the name of it. It, 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 the line in is that we are we have the gospel and these guys are lost and we should go out and oh me what's the name of the song the, uh, is that what it was this into is the our into our hands the gospel is given yeah. swiftly we're turning life's daily pages and these folks are all out there lost and here we have it what are we doing about it Paul said, you Gentiles better be careful while you lose your, your way. Don't be bragging about being in the church. And they're not. And they also, any Jew, if he abides not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft him in again if he'd obey the gospel. He says to the Gentile, if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and grafted contrary to nature, how much more shall those which be the natural branches, the original Jews, be grafted into their own olive tree? And so they have a chance, and we're explained here in quite a bit of detail how it was that Israel was lost. She had rejected the gospel, but she could come back again if she would. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that there should be a Jew and a Gentile in one church, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. He's talking to the Gentiles. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. The result of the Jew rejecting the gospel was that the early preachers turned to the Gentiles. Acts 13, 46. Paul told the Jews, since you rejected it, we're turning to the Gentiles. And so, and here's the verse that every premillennialist likes to use to say, the Bible says all Israel shall be, shall be saved. Well, the problem is, and so is an adverb of manner. It's an adverb of manner. In like manner as the Gentile was saved, and so all Israel shall be saved. That is, Israel is going to have to obey the gospel to be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. We've looked at chapters 9 through 11 very briefly, but notice again, God made choices, chose Israel. Israel thought that meant she was saved. Paul said, no. You have to obey God. In fact, when you were living under the law of Moses, you weren't all obeying him. Romans 9, 6. But God did make choices, but he told you over and over again through the prophets that a new system was coming. You didn't listen. You tried to establish your own righteousness. You tried to do it your own way, and now you're lost. But if you'll come back 
and be grafted into the church, all Israel could be saved that way. We have now the first 11 chapters of Romans, and I'm going to quit here with verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, underline therefore, when you think about all that God did and how he worked out his plan through millenniums of rebellious peoples, of negligent people, apathetic people, people who were opposed to his own people, it is an amazing God we serve. He's just awesome, as the young people say. And so Paul says, watch him now, he's on his apostolic knees. He said, I beg you, brethren, here's your invitation. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living offering. King James has sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. And that's logical. If you'll underline reasonable, it's the word logikos. We get our English word logical from it. It's just logical that when I start thinking about all that God did, I just give myself to him. 